Testing, testing, one, two, three, 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 three. It's a party, y'all, and we're dressed to the nines. We're looking funky, funky fresh, and we're feeling divine. We're going to the movies to make the good times last. So welcome, y'all, to Backlick Cinema, the podcast. My name is Zoe. It's spelled Z to the O or Z-O for those of you outside of the U.S. It's the 129th episode. Thank you for downloading and streaming. We really appreciate it. We watch movies of yesteryear that I loved when I was growing up in the late 1900s. If you like what you're about to hear, then please tell your family, tell your friends, and tell that thief who robs from the rich and gives to the poor about Backlit Cinema, the podcast. And now, I have for you a very special person that I'd like you to meet. Whether she's doing a deep dive into comics, reporting the freshest movie news, or she's interviewing accomplished filmmakers, you can count on my next guest to give it to you straight and look good doing it. Ladies, gentlemen, and genders across the spectrum, please welcome the esteemed noblewoman of nerddom, Danielle Sunsessi. So being that you have blended uh, in, in your content, you've blended your comics and you've blended the cosmetics. So um, how did that come about? So I was sitting at home on the floor doing my makeup as ladies do. Uh, and I was also watching Bailey Sarian. She has a a YouTube channel and podcast called Murder Mystery and Makeup Monday. She does her makeup while talking about cold cases and murder mysteries and, and ghost stories and stuff. Um, <clears throat> so I'm sitting there doing my makeup, watching this and Dave comes in and he sits down and he's, he starts like really watching her. And he says, you know, Smurf, he, he calls me Smurf. He doesn't even know why he just does. he, he says, you know, Smurf, you could you could do this. And I looked up at him. And I was like, first of all, I don't know the first stinking thing about murder mysteries and cold cases. I just like the way she tells the story. <laughs> I just and I like watching her do her makeup. And he said, no, no, no. I mean, like with your nerdy crap that you like, you could do this. You could like do your makeup. But talk about the stuff you like to talk like the comic books and the tv shows and stuff and i just kind of looked up at him i said i am middle-aged overweight i do not look like bailey sarian why would anyone want to watch me do my makeup and he just looked at me like i don't think that matters just talk about the stuff you know you're really you know a lot of stuff about it so i really think the reason why he suggested this was he was just sick and tired of my shit. <laughs> Sorry. He just, he, he wanted me to have an outlet so he didn't have to listen to it anymore because it's not his bag, baby. He's into cars and uh typical manly man stuff, I guess, you know, he likes cars and guns and America, the sci-fi comic books he really doesn't care about i'll make him watch it with me and then every five seconds i'm like that's so-and-so from so-and-so and and they came from so-and-so but they know so-and-so and And he's like i don't care (laughs) care." 
so he argues that, no, I just, I think you would be good at this. I think you should give it a try. And I was like, okay. I planned for about two years, like how I wanted to do it. Um, what I wanted to talk about. And then I posted a, a breakdown about Wonder Woman. I did strictly breakdowns, I think, for a year. And then my computer imploded. Like, I lost everything. And I had to start over from scratch. And I was feeling very uninspired, as sometimes that happens. And I accidentally started making friends with some makeup artists and uh, concept designers and actors. And I was like, well, I'll just interview people for a while. So for about a year, I just interviewed people. <laughs> like, it just, it keeps changing. So now the format is once a week, I cover everything you need to know in nerdy news, because that's actually my big strength. I'm really good at the prediction stuff. And I know people who work in some of these places. So I'm very lucky to get some information that not a whole lot of people have from time to time. So I figure instead of just arguing with people on Twitter, <laughs> I should just post the stuff I I know and do my own like little news segment. So once a week we have this week in nerdy news. And then once a month I do the more complicated breakdown videos, which take me forever to do. I mean, it's so involved. I will write for about two weeks. I'll research and write for two weeks and then it takes me anywhere from an hour to two hours to record. And then you're looking at a full week to edit. So I'd say about 60 hours total to edit one of those breakdowns. So that was really stressing me out. So I'm glad I'm doing that once a month now instead of <laughs> once a week. That was like, I'm sorry, I went off again. No, that's fine. That's that's why I don't do it. <laughs> 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 so that's that's pretty awesome so when uh for our listeners when they want to find you how do they find you well it's super easy uh i joke around that i'm like a venereal disease i'm everywhere <laughs> you can't get rid of me <laughs> um just i'm on literally every single social media platform there is every single one blue sky threads uh twitter Instagram, Facebook, Twitch, YouTube. All you have to do is search comics and cosmetics and I pop up. You'll see this logo. Awesome. And and that's me. Uh, YouTube is just at comics and cosmetics. Everything is pretty much TikTok, everything. Comics and cosmetics and you'll see me. So for those of you in the listening audience, she held up a fetching logo off of her T-shirt. So do you have do you have a store that they can go to? Yes, I do. Uh, I have a tea Public store, uh, tea Public slash user slash comics and cosmetics merch. <laughs> I mean, if you just search comics and cosmetics merch, it should pop up. Tea Public always has those annoying long 
Right, right. right. <laughs> but I've got over 30 designs um, on various things. So my favorite says I have to pee because <laughs> it's usually how I would end my live streams was with, okay, it's that time of the night where I have to pee. So <laughs> Everyone has to go home. That's pretty awesome. That's that's how Red Fox used to end his sets. He he was oh, yeah? yeah. He used to say, I gotta go to the toilet and walk off the stage. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> All right. God so love him. It was awesome talking to you. Of course, I will have the links in the show notes. So let us transfer to our next segment. And we're going to go into the opening credit. So um Danielle, if you could tell the audience the movie we watched and a little bit about the movie. Oh, buddy. So I'm really excited about the movie we're going to talk about because it is one of my top five favorite movies from growing up. Um, It's Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. It came out in 1991. It is the first movie I owned on VHS that was one hundred percent mine it was not like a family movie it was my movie uh starring kevin costner christian slater the amazing morgan freeman who i got the wonderful opportunity to meet once in my life i love this movie it's it's about robin hood kevin costner did catch a lot of flack for his constantly changing accent and not actually doing a British accent all the way through. Um, but I still loved it. Christian Slater is in it. And every woman my age had a massive crush on Christian Slater in the in the early 90s, in the 90s period. He was just gorgeous. So he played Will Scarlet and Morgan Freeman. That is how I was introduced to Morgan Freeman. He plays Aziz. Um, no, not Aziz. I'm thinking of Robin Hood Men in Tights. <laughs> we, that's okay. We we actually have all all of that in a dose later on. <laughs> but he's he's wonderful in it, and he's actually quite funny. But this was a big movie for my generation. I'd say um, Brian Adams did the theme song to it. It was everyone's first middle school slow dance. It was everyone's wedding song. Everything I do, I do it for you. That song is just, that's baby making music for 90s kids. (laughs) (laughs) So Robin of Loxley, he did his duty for king and country as a nobleman fighting in the Crusades only to return to England to find that his father had been killed in his lands confiscated additionally the plight of the common folk is dire and the people are near starvation all at the hands of the sinister sheriff of nottingham played by alan rickman who has its eyes on king richard's throne with his country in despair robin finds that he must continue to fight for his king but as a hood Right. He's taking it straight to the hood. So this movie was released June 14th, 1991, produced by Warner Brothers and Morgan Creek Entertainment. It grossed over $165 million in the U.S. and Canada and over $390 worldwide on a reported budget of $48 million. Now, 
obviously this is in 1991 dollars so let us kind of let's kind of shift the the price of inflation <laughs> so if you consider the inflation if it came out today then the gross in the US and Canada would, would be 371 million dollars which is decent haul it's a decent yeah. haul but worldwide it grossed over 879 million in today's dollars so that that's almost a billion that's yeah. very well respectable yeah. take that barbie right especially when you consider that this was made on a in today's dollars it, it was a budget of 108 million dollars so that is phenomenal so yeah. it made like three times its budget in the first well not in the first week but from just from the U.S. and Canada, so it's already yeah. a hit in the U.S. and it's it's you know it's already a blockbuster. But then you tack on the worldwide grosses, and it, it's absolutely phenomenal. People around the world enjoyed this film, oh, and absolutely. it's it's so much fun. It's it's definitely an enjoyable romp, I guess you would call it. I don't know what you would call it. It's enjoyable. <laughs> it is. It's a good time, and I the other. You've got here that, you know, it was second after Terminator 2. Terminator right, 2, right. What, this was a big year for movies. Yeah. A lot of people don't remember this, but 91 was a huge year, like a historic year for these franchises. Well, Robin Hood didn't really have a franchise. Yeah, it was. Right, right. Terminator 2. I saw both of these films in the theater. Terminator 2 at the drive-in. And they were packed. They were absolutely packed. And I mean, obviously Terminator 2 was the most anticipated film, but for Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves to come so close to Terminator 2, it was, that was huge. It's, yeah. it's almost unheard of. Yeah. Especially since Robin Hood, even though it's based on uh, like a popular story, it, it's not like a remake or a, a property that's of a, of a, it's not like a sequel to Robin Hood, right? It's it's no. its own Robin Hood movie. Mm -hmm. So that it was um, kind of an original story. Uh, and like it wasn't a sequel and it made as much money as it did. That's that's also exactly. phenomenal. So we're going to talk about who starred in the movie. So first we have Kevin Costner. He plays Robin of Lockley or Loxley. Lock mm. that, that's actually a difficult word to say. Robin of Loxley, <laughs> also known as Robin Hood. He's also been in The Postman, which I kind of like The Postman. I know, I know that it, it, you know, it to it's each his own, but I kind of liked it. <laughs> also, Dances with Wolves and The Bodyguard. Mm. Mm. You also got, like I said, Morgan Freeman. Oh, love him. He played as Dean. Um, he had been known for roles like Driving Miss Daisy at the time, but then he was in You've seen him and now you see me in Oblivion since. Yeah, he's uh, a fantastic actor. Uh, I've always, there were times when I went to the movie to see Morgan Freeman. And then I didn't realize that he sang one of my favorite songs when I was growing up. So. <laughs> what was it? So Morgan Freeman, uh, one of his early roles was one of the cast members of a show called The Electric Company. It was oh, a kid's show. Oh, yeah. And I didn't, and it's like, I didn't know. It was like only in, in retrospect that I, that I had a realization of who he was in the electric company. And uh, he, he sang a song called Spin, Spin, Spin. And so he's a father. His, his kid asks him for, for, for some money. 
And then he goes on to this song about spending money. It's like, all you do is ask for money and spend, spend, spend. So that's what I remember from Sesame Street. So <laughs> That's wonderful. Moving right along to our next one. Uh, talk about names. Mary Elizabeth Mastrantonio. Uh, I practiced it. I came out pretty good. She plays Marion Dubois. So what's funny about, um, or, or Maiden Mary. So what's funny about Mary Elizabeth is that she's like, you know, there are not many people who are named Mary Master Antonio, but she no. says, no, 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 no. You will, you will know me by all of my names. So <laughs> mm-hmm. you will henceforth know me as Mary Elizabeth Master Antonio. So anyway, she's been in The Abyss, Scarface, and Class Action. Um, I, I didn't even realize that that was her in Scarface, even when I as I watched it. Really? And I knew who she was. And I'm looking, where is she at? Where is she? Oh, that's her, right? <laughs> that hair, man. I wanted her hair so bad. Right, right. It's perfectly 80s it's so hair. Beautiful. Um, then you have Christian Slater, who plays Will Scarlet. Oh, Christian Slater, he was a face. In the 90s, let me tell you, in the late in the 80s and 90s, I'll tell you something, Gleaming the Cube, man, Gleaming the Cube. Uh, <laughs> he had been known for, of course, Gleaming the Cube, as I said, Hard Rain, Broken Arrow, 3,000 Miles to Graceland. That's a wild movie. Right. right there. And Broken Arrow, that was uh, in episode 20, we covered that. Uh, he That was one of... My favorite films <laughs> that he was really, in. yeah. <laughs> he didn't say my favorite line in that film, but he's it's one of my favorite films that he was in. Um, but he was he was he contributed it to it. Can you guess what that line is? It's been so long, but I have a feeling as soon as you say it, I'm gonna know exactly what it is because I remember that there it, there was a very specific line in this movie. Right, right. There was a uh, a website named after it. So there's a line that uh what's his name? John Travolta says and he yeah. says, Ain't no, first no, it was actually Christian Slater. He 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 prompted the line. So he says, You're out of your mind. And John Travolta answers, Ain't it cool? And Yeah, and ain't that, it cool. <laughs> and yeah. thus was born Ain't It Cool News. So up next <laughs> up next is Alan Rickman. He plays the sheriff of Nottingham. You know what's interesting? I expected the character to actually have a name, but this is just a title. It doesn't have a name. And I was like, oh, that's that's a strange thing to do. To Because I think the impetus was to make it a little bit more realistic, I guess, to ground it a little bit more. So I figure in order to ground things, you would name things or give things proper names. And they didn't do it in this movie. He's he's the sheriff of Nottingham. It's like he doesn't have any other names. And uh, honestly, in the theatrical cut, we don't know much about him as a person other than he's bad. Right, right. That's exactly right. Uh, and we, we're going to talk more about that later on in the trivia. You've seen him in Die Hard. Uh, we covered that mm. in episode 125. Also, Galaxy Quest and mm. Love Actually. Never seen that. Neither have I. <laughs> I, I, I hear think it's I can good. live the rest of my life without it, honestly. Right. <laughs> I hear it's good. Yeah. Okay. Right, 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 right. Yeah. <laughs> I'll take your word back. Uh, I, I, yeah, um, me too. <laughs> then you have Geraldine McEwen. She played Mortiana, the witch. She, she is known for the Magdalene sisters, Henry V, and the love letter. 
I, I don't recall seeing any, you know, I don't know about any of those movies. I think those are. I've seen Henry V. Right. But I, that was ages ago. Right. And all I can remember is Kenneth Branagh. <laughs> but I think that, um, what you call it, that, you know, mo- most of these are English films. And mm-hmm. I, I'm pretty sure she's renowned in England. But I got to say, mm-hmm. she killed it in this movie. Oh, Absolutely. she was. Sorry. No, you're fine. <laughs> she did. She did kill it. She was very scary, very creepy, very old, like old school witch. Yeah, story. yeah, yeah. And just she understood the assignment. Right. Absolutely. She was witching it up. <laughs> <laughs> then there's uh, Michael McShane. He played Friar Tuck. You may have seen him in Office Space or Castle in the Sky. He was funny in this movie. He was. He was great. He was great. And so was Michael Wincott, who played Guy of Gisborne. This guy has made a career for himself as playing the sleazy, slick-backed villain. He's, you know, he played basically the same kind of character in The Crow and Along Came a Spider. He was just this this creepy, greasy-haired, just give me the heebs. Right, right. (laughs) He has definitely found his niche. (laughs) Yes, he has. Uh, Up next is Nick Brimble. He played Little John, also known as John Little. That's funny. Uh, He's been in A Knight's Tale and Frankenstein Unbound. I don't remember him in A Knight's Tale, and I didn't see him in Frankenstein Unbound, but he was extremely charming in this movie. He was. And in A Knight's Tale, he was actually the original... Sir Ulrich that died. Oh, he was the knight that he okay. was firing for. Right, right, right. Okay. That that's why he's not in most of the movie. I get it now. Right. <laughs> right. So again, uh, what you you were kind of hitting the nail on the head with he's a big British actor. Right, he's right, right. Done right. A lot of British films. Um and we have Sue Drouet, who played Fanny Little. She was uh, Little John's wife. She's a hoot. I love her. There's one line she says in the film that I still say to this day. Hello, me lover. (laughs) 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 You've birthed eight babies. Like, better be here minding the other seven. Like, I birthed eight babies. I'm not going to stand around and watch one of them die, am I? (laughs) No, you're not, Fanny. You're stationed here. Absolutely right. <laughs> She's known for a film known as The Craze. Right. I don't know that film. I've never seen it. Yeah, it's definitely a British or a UK film. It's most of her credits are in in the UK, and like she's done. Uh, and and most of them are television. She's mostly a television actor. Like I think she's only done The Craze and this movie, and everything else is in television, and. As a television actor, she's done uh, a little bit of everything. Uh, maybe a couple of ex- episodes of Doctor Who. She's probably been Ooh. in the Sherlock Holmes story. She's, I she's, love Doctor Who. She's in there. She's she's in all the TVs. <laughs> yes. So this film was directed by Kevin Reynolds. <clears throat> I'm so sorry. My allergies are driving me crazy. <clears throat> Um, it's directed by Kevin Reynolds, but he also directed 
Waterworld, which was also starring Kevin Costner, but did even worse than The Postman. Poor guy. It's become kind of a cult classic, though. It's really not that bad. It's just totally different. I, I liked you know? it when it first came out, yeah, and I, I was surprised that nobody else did. <laughs> Nobody knows how to have fun anymore. <laughs> right. um, but he he directed Waterworld, The Count of Monte Cristo, Risen, Tristan and Isolde, and 187. So it's quite a, a, a mix there. Yeah, yeah. Quite, a, quite an eclectic director. Right, right. I, I like that, um, that he's done a def- uh, bunch of different things. And, you know, some of them are more popular or more, uh, what you call it, it, more consumable than others, I guess. Yeah. But uh, I've, I've enjoyed Waterworld and The Count of Monte Cristo. And Risen looks interesting, even though I haven't seen it. I've heard great, great things about Tristan and Isolde. So, yeah. Oh, that's, that's the original story of Romeo and Juliet. And that was starring Dave Franco and Sophia Miles. Sophia Miles was also in Doctor Who and Underworld, and I've gotten to speak with her a couple of times personally. We never did get to connect on the interview, but I'll leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> so, and Win Eight Seven was starring Morgan Freeman, also, wasn't it? Oh, I don't, I don't remember that movie. I, I remember oh, actually, I remember. A movie called 187, but I don't remember like any of the particulars because I didn't see it. So I don't remember like the trailer or who was in it or anything like that. I feel like, uh, nope, nope, not going to speculate because I don't remember. <laughs> so moving well, right. Well, thanks to rap music, we all know that 187 means murder. Right, right. It, <laughs> we all know that. It, it, murder in California specifically. Yeah. <laughs> so not it doesn't apply to every single state. That's true. Um, L.A. it means right, murder. Probably just L.A. Yeah. So moving right <laughs> along, it was written by Penn Desham and John Watson. So Desham is responsible for movies like Larger Than Life and Maul Flanders. And mm-hmm. Watson, he's written The Zoo Gang and A Gnome Named Norm. I think that's how you say that. But anyways, it's a funny play on words. I don't know any of these yeah. movies. I think they're all British movies. And, you know, they came together, they wrote this, and and they moved on basically to being producers and directors and whatnot. So they don't have like a, a robust writing credits. But um, I'm glad they came together to make this movie. <laughs> Dory. Now, the music in this was dope. I'm just going to say the music in Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, it's very evocative, very engrossing. It really, really grabs you. It They they nail the feel of this movie. It's definitely the, the color of the emotion of this movie. Mm-hmm. And I had the soundtrack. Of course I did. Uh, but the music was done by Michael Kamen. And he also did Event Horizon, which... I need to go yeah, watch I mean, that. This is a scary movie. <laughs> um, Event Horizon, Lethal Weapon. Love Lethal Weapon. 101 Dalmatians, the live action 1996. Mr. Holland's Opus. Great movie. Die Hard, also with Alan Rickman, and my favorite Christmas movie, 
Action Jackson, and then, of course, the great Brian Adams wrote and performed the song Everything I Do, I Do For You, which went to the top of every single chart. It was the number one single of Adams's career. It maintained number one on the Billboard charts in the U.S. for 14 weeks, but it also spent a record-breaking 16 weeks, number one in the United Kingdom. And I'm pretty sure everyone my age had their first slow dance to that song. Everyone who got married for the next decade had their first dance to this song. This song is probably more historical and well-known than the actual movie. It transcended the film and that was like the first time that it ever happened (laughs) not only did it go crazy on the robin hood prince of these thieves pardon me robin hood prince of thieves soundtrack but adams was also allowed to put it on his new album waking up the neighbors which i also got that year (laughs) and That sent that album skyrocketing. So Brian Adams like owned the early nineties. It, it be, it was because of the song. Like after this, uh, you'll remember the three Musketeers came out. Disney did the live action three Musketeers. And for the soundtrack of that song, they wanted to strike gold again. So they hire Brian Adams who brings in sting and Rod Stewart. Right, And they record All for One and One for All, which was equally massive. Like, I'm pretty sure Brian Adams, like, retired right then and there. Like, (laughs) I've done it. It was a great career. I can't top that. My career is is now at a close. So, But no, Brian Adams really, really killed it. They... If you when you watch the movie, you will hear notes of everything I do, I do for you. Yes. Especially like when Marion and Robin in the scenes with them together, you'll hear the sting of that song right. layered in with the background music. And it's just <laughs> magnifique. And this is absolutely a great song. I've heard remakes of it. One of my favorite remakes is the one that Brandy does. And uh it's just it's an undefeatable song. It's just, it gives you the chills every single time. No, seemingly no matter who sings it. <laughs> so that's it for the opening credits. And for some announcements, um, we are still moving full steam ahead with steam with this, with the newsletter. Uh, so, and we're also giving away our Felix, the cat emoji t-shirt. And if you want a chance to win that t-shirt, just go on over to the website, www.backlinkcinema.com for the details. If you subscribe to the newsletter, you enter for a chance to win the t-shirt. Also, I, I've, I've done this a couple of times now. By the time you hear this episode, I will have done this a few times. So on 10 a.m. on Sunday morning, I'm doing the Sunday morning snap where I play Marvel Snap on Twitch. And it's one of my favorite games. I'm going to do it anyway, so I might as well do it in front of a studio audience. <laughs> Fortnite. You play Marvel Snap Sunday mornings, 10 a.m. on Twitch. Right. That's kind of cool. Have you played Marvel you. Snap? 
No, I've never played it. I just recently discovered Fortnite. <laughs> and there was like two weeks where I had to force myself to get anything done around the house because I was just Fortnite. Right, right. Like, especially the Lego part. Right. <laughs> and then my kid's like, Mom, that's basically Minecraft. That's what we've played since we were five. And now you're, and you used to yell at us about it. And now you're I'm like, shut up, get out of my room. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody asked you. Right, right. Yeah. The, um, I, I love games. So that's, that. I mean, I play, I play a bunch of different games, but that's my poison right now. So um, I've decided to, to, to twitch that just, like I said, I'm doing it Smart anyway. And, and hopefully uh, you know, people will watch and enjoy me failing because I'm not good at it. I just like to do it. <laughs> yeah, that's why I'm afraid to, because I have Twitch. and But that's why I'm afraid to, you know, stream me playing games because I'm a middle-aged mom, dude. I'm going to play like a middle-aged mom. Right, 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 right. <laughs> no, it, it's fine. It's totally fine. <laughs> So uh, that's it for the announcements. And let's go over to our next segment. going to talk about our favorite parts. Now, uh, we, we're going to try to limit it to five. And obviously, you know, we could go on and on uh, throughout oh, yeah. the live long day talking about <laughs> everything. We we, we, we want to be respectful of your time. You hear? <laughs> we don't. We, we know you got other podcasts you want to listen to. We, we know you, you got to get on with your day. You just can't hear a you know, sitting around listening to us yap about this fantastic movie. So, uh, <laughs> Danny, why don't you start us off on what's one of your favorite parts? Well, uh, right, well, I'll say Fanny. Fanny's one of my my favorite parts. Right. Where um, she's sitting on the rampart with her bundle, you know, where she's supposed to wait for the merry men so she can give them swords and bows and stuff. And this guard comes up and he's like, why what you got here? And she's like, Oh, that's just firewood. I like so good hanging. I do. And he's like, you gotta move. She's like, Oh, and then little John jumps up behind him and pushes him over the wall. And she just doesn't even doesn't phase her or anything. She's like, hello, me lover. <laughs> and just goes back about it. I I love her for that. I don't know why I love that so much. Oh, that's just firewood. Hello, me lover. Right. I don't know. I it just w- love it. She was so nonchalant about it. She was an absolute was. natural when she was. Uh, she and Little John and, and the whole merry men were invading the the castle. So that was an excellent scene in that part. Uh, one of the things that I really liked about this movie, my, one of my favorite things was the costume, the costuming in this movie was, and it's like, I can appreciate it now much better than I could appreciate it before. So like the design of, uh, the costume that Robin of Lockley was wearing, the, the design of the Merry Men, Will Scarlet in particular, they're, they're like, well, his name is Scarlet. So we better put some Scarlet in there. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, the it was like the first time we watch a movie like this and the costumes were like legit. Right. Like they really I there was a huge chunk of that budget had to go to the costume department because they really put all kinds of effort into that. They really did. Right. They were it was killing good it. Good for them. They did amazing. Right. 
What's another one of your favorite parts? Oh, well, you said Will Scarlet and it just any any scene with Will Scarlet. Will Scarlet is definitely one of my favorite characters in this movie. Christian Slater just kills it. And even though his accent wasn't exactly British, <laughs> it was way better than Kevin Costner's. I'll say. Right. His, his, and, was, uh, his was way more subtle. And there were times yeah. when it, he would kind of fade in and out of his accent. Well, yeah. It was hard for him and to be consistent. There was one F-bomb. Yes, yes. In this movie. And Christian Slater has it. Will Scarlet has it. Right. <clears throat> I couldn't really, like, I was really young. I was like 11, 12 years old right, when this right, movie came right. out. So the way he says it is so quick and subtle that you almost miss it. <laughs> but when he's launching Azim and Robin in the catapult over the, the castle wall, he yells, F me, they cleared it. Right, right, <laughs> F me, right. they cleared it. Right. And... I remember when it clued into my brain that it was actually the F word and my parents still got me that movie for Christmas. <laughs> I was like, oh, I snuck this one right by the parentals. Look right, at that. Right, right. But anything with him in it, him telling Robin, like you really think he's going to be, he, he's betraying Robin. He's, he's given everybody up just so he can be freed he actually takes the opportunity to go back to Robin and tell them what happened. And then also say, Oh, by the way, I'm your brother. Right. And right. you think Robin's going to flip out, but he's just so happy. Well, he did kind of flip out a little bit. That he has family after thinking he lost everyone. It just melts your heart for the Will Scarlet character. Right. Just, he, he flipped out a, a little bit. Like first he called him a liar, right? Yeah. <laughs> and then um and then when he he had time to let it sink in, you know, he was overjoyed. Yeah. He's like, uh, I have a brother. Right, right, right. And so that yes, was you too. I I I like that. I like the little twist that they put in the movie. I like that they uh it was like an attempt to add a little bit more depth into the, you know, the classic legend of Robin Hood. So I I really enjoyed that. And uh I, I I do like Will Scarlet, like um, Kristen Slater as Will Scarlet. He, he, I felt like we could have used more of him. <laughs> yeah. Yes, absolutely. Uh, one of my favorite parts uh, was Robin and the telescope. So when Azim yes. had a telescope, I, I like that Patrine as is portrayed as both technologically and tactically advanced. Like he's the, he's he's the, way the, smart. It's like the uh, what you call it the. <laughs> The filmmakers have made an attempt to be socially conscious because one of the things that I that I noticed, like when I first started the film, is like it starts with the Crusades, and it's like with, with all the things that that events that are going in the world right now, it's like oh, this this it's not look it's not a good look, and and I think the filmmakers were yeah, conscious the... of it even in that time that it wasn't a good look, so they made sure to uh, in in a way praise uh, they, they didn't want to make uh, villains out of. People of well, we religions. had Desert Storm going on when this movie right, right, was right. filled, right. filmed, right? Filled. <laughs> yeah, I'm having I'm I'm having problems with words too. I wanted to say the word vilify, but I couldn't find it. <laughs> so they didn't they didn't want to vilify Arabs. They didn't want to vilify 
Muslim religions. They really wanted right. to paint them as just opponents. And then right. uh, by adding the Azim character and then by, uh, you know, portraying him as like uh, intelligent and advanced. Oh, he and- was so, so smart and so smooth and right, so... Right honorable right I just, right and and downright I love him right downright oh, did gentlemanly. uneducated time kind ever take jerusalem right like, right right what <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah so when robin grabbed the telescope he he starts to stab the air with his sword yeah and he's looking through it like this and <laughs> he thinks he that they're right yanks in front it of him. out of his hand like knock it off dumb dumb <laughs> yeah that was so that was brilliant i really liked it. i really like that they put that in there because like they wouldn't know they wouldn't know about a telescope or like a lot of people wouldn't know so it's like robin is just one of those one of those guys that didn't know what a telescope was and, and what it could do <laughs> just, it, it was pretty great any that that would be my definite next favorite part is any any of the big azim but especially the, I think the funniest part of the whole movie is when they're there at Maid Marian's, like they first get there and Robin goes in to talk to her and it's just Duncan who is blind, who's sitting outside. He's been blinded by the sheriff's men and Nazim and Duncan, like they're just standing there against the wall. Nobody's asked him to say anything. And Duncan says, curse all moles and Saracens. If it wasn't for their own godly ways, Master Robin would have never left. What manner of name is Azim? Irish? Cornish? And then Morgan Freeman gets real close to him and he goes, Moorish. Like, <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. Ah, gotcha. That's what you get. Right, That's right. what you get. That's what you oh, get. Oh, it's so good. There's, there are some absolutely phenomenal scenes with with morgan freeman as azim in this movie when he's sitting in the the merry men camp and he's you know whittling and this little girl comes up and she's just so sweet and innocent and she says did god paint you and he looks at her and he says did god paint me And he says, for certain, for Allah loves wondrous variety. And I thought that was just so touching. In the extended cut, in the extended cut, that scene is extended. There's more to it. Friar Tuck comes running up and grabs the little girl and just chastises Azim for talking about Allah to her. Right, Like he flips out and he's like, don't you give her your devil talk. And he's like, it's just God with a different name. Right, right, right. No. And then he totally (laughs) saves Fanny and Fanny's baby's life by performing the first cesarean these people had ever seen before. And Robin's like, are you sure you know how to do this? He's like, oh yeah, I've seen it many times in horses. (laughs) Right. (laughs) He's great. And then the, the, the connection between him and the witch. And that was another thing that got cut out of the theatrical, the theatrical cut was there was more to it. He was having dreams about her. She was having dreams about him and it had been brought up a couple times. I'm like the witch, what witch? Wait a minute, which one? And then she's like the, the painted man, the more like they, they ask these questions repeatedly throughout the film and then they meet and they're like, Oh, Right, right. And it's 
See the Morgan Freeman, man. Right. What a class act. I just love him. Yeah, he's uh all of his scenes is, is like he's the star of that scene. So oh, that, oh that yeah, is, that voice. Right. That voice <laughs> is so soothing. So fun fact, when I was pregnant with my oldest daughter, we lived in Hawaii. We were stationed there, and he did a movie called The Big Bounce that was filmed there on the North Shore, and they decided to do a premiere there on post. So I got free tickets because I worked for the Army Air Force Exchange Service and I freaking left work early and I headed over there like eight, nine months pregnant with my daughter and he walks by and I'm like, oh my God, it's a Zim. I, I was so excited and I said hi to him. He says hi back and he gestures at my belly and he goes, may I? And I said, Please. So he, <laughs> he touches the top of my belly and he says, I've always thought that pregnant women were the most beautiful. And I was just, oh my God. <laughs> so my daughter, who is now 20 years old, tells everyone that she was blessed by Morgan Freeman in the womb. And that's why she has such a soothing voice. That's pretty awesome. That's an excellent story. <laughs> He's wonderful. I love him. That's awesome. So um, one of my favorite parts, I mean, I, I absolutely love all of the Morgan Freeman stuff, but I, I want to bring it over to Alan Rickman. So, <laughs> so yes. my favorite part, my favorite line in the movie is, uh, the the spoon comments so <laughs> and so he hurt more. so so basically uh, uh, it's like i didn't realize it was like the only thing i that i truly remember is at first was when he says i'll carve your heart out with a spoon with a i remember sp- that part but then it kind of continues so his cousin asks him why a spoon and like mm-hmm. you said so it'll hurt more you idiot yeah. it's it'll hurt more and then um and then when he finally kills his cousin because his cousin isn't confident. He says, at least I didn't use a spoon. <laughs> well, at least I didn't use a spoon. And then he kind of holds the sword up and he's like, it's good steel. Right, right, right. Yeah, because he's in a factory. He's in a factory and he takes one of the swords that have just been finished. And that's what he used to skewer his cousin. Cold <laughs> It's crazy. It's like his cousins always come in and talk about how he messed up. It was like, oh, Robin got away. Oh, we got beat up by his merry men. Oh, and it's like you can only tell the sheriff of Nottingham something like this so many times. So many times. <laughs> <laughs> man, and Alan Rickman is just he he's amazing at what he does. He is absolutely amazing at what he does. And he plays that super hyper intelligent permanently exacerbated villain like like it's he he was born for it he he was he's amazing like i've heard he's just a a kind and considerate funny thoughtful person uh in life when he was alive well gosh so sad that he's gone but he just he hated being typecast as this villain you know once he played Hans Gruber and he just killed it like it's not Christmas in my house until he falls from Nakatomi (laughs) Plaza but he he did such a good job that he started only getting offered these villain roles right 
but he was so good at right. it. He was so good. Sheriff of Nottingham is one of the most recognizable roles for him. He he just because it's dull, you twit to the hut right. hole. Like right. everybody knows that because it's just his delivery is just classic. Why a spoon? Cousin? Right. Right. Why not to <laughs> dagger? Like, <laughs> yeah, he, he didn't quite get it. His cousin didn't quite get it. Guy of Gisborne, you dummy. <laughs> so what's your what's your next favorite part? Mm, I mean, you've already said Alan Rickman, and I just love him so much. But just the action sequences. I mean, you remember the trailer, right? right? Everyone wanted to see this movie for one reason and one reason only. And it was that close-up shot following the arrow. Right. Like Kevin Costner as Robin Hood fires an arrow in the camera. It, it does it a couple of times. Like you first see it in the trailer as he's there's flames around him and he's firing this arrow in slow motion and you can see it coming towards the camera. And then there's another time where he fires it and the camera follows it in flight until it meets its target. And that was so cool for 1991. Like you have no idea how cool and how technically difficult challenging it was for them to pull off that shot it hadn't really been done before and the sound that accompanied it the you know it was those scenes the cinematography the direction the editing in this movie is top notch and it's all done in a way that keeps you 100 percent engaged it has some of the best rewatchability of of any movie i've seen because of it so the action scenes i mean when he's when he's in the the prison the in, in jerusalem and he's getting ready to get his hand cut off and he pulls the rope forward and chops the the he does it so fast and so smoothly in the way they've shot it you barely know what's happened until the guy's holding a bloody stump and screaming but they he did such a good job on the direction of this film there's never there's just enough romance there's the the only neutery is kevin costner's butt for a half second so there's these days, it's there's so much gratuitous sex. There's no mystery to it. There's no chance to let your imagination wander or develop your own idea. You know, there's there's no mystery to it whatsoever. Robin Hood had that. You had this amazing romantic tension between Robin and Maid Marian, but you only see them kiss like twice in the whole movie they pulled it off i mean just absolutely beautifully it doesn't get the respect it deserves for that simple fact the the romantic tension that was built up between these characters and it was based entirely on conversation right, <laughs> like on right. conversation so you had the perfect amount of 
crazy, exciting action and amazing cinematography, romance, buddy cop. Like, it had everything. So, yeah, everything in the movie is my favorite. <laughs> no, the the direction, the editing, the the post production, really the behind the scenes stuff. It it's one of the best films from that era regarding behind the behind the camera work. It it's really 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 phenomenal. It does. It's not everyone focuses on Kevin Costner not doing a British accent properly when really. I mean, you should be paying attention to literally everything else. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Um, it, it actually, we'll forgive some people and their accents, and and then we, we'll chastise other people and their lack of accents or whatever. And it's just a that's just the way of it, you know. <laughs> yes, the way the the beast. Right, and uh, I would say that my last um, my last favorite part is the will scarlet reveal but we kind of covered that uh, basically everything with will scarlet so uh we don't have to get too deep in that but yeah that that reveal was pretty good so um yeah this is uh this is a fantastic movie you really eloquently covered why we love this movie so much and i really appreciate that because uh, you're right about everything, of course. Uh, and uh, to be fair about like only kissing twice in a movie, um, they were kind of fighting each other at first. It was <laughs> it took it took a minute for them to, especially for Marion to to right um, to warm up to Robin. It took a minute because, like she said, you know, he was just her dumb brother's friend, right? Just right. And then he, she, he was, and yeah, he was, he was messing with her all the time. He, he was the type of dude that, or at least when he was growing up, that when he liked a girl, he would punch her in the face. No, <laughs> boys, silly boys. <laughs> so he was uh, a big fan of negging. Right, right, right. So, ladies and gentlemen, those are our favorite parts of the movie, and we're going to transition to to talk about the top. Trivia. So, um, the, these are like some of my favorite my favorite points of trivia that I picked up from IMDb. So, and fortunately, it was it was all there. I didn't I didn't have to go go too far out outside of that. There were some things that I picked up, but but not a whole bunch. So, uh, start us off on on some of the trivia that I picked up. Well, you know, I was talking about Alan Rickman. And how great he was in the sheriff, and you know how he kept getting villain roles. Well, he initially turned down the role twice before he, you know, went ahead and accepted. Uh, he was told he was holding out for the opportunity to have more of a carte blanche with the character. He wanted to be able to r- truly make the sheriff his own, so uh, he just kept letting him come back. And ask him until they're like, all right, you can do whatever you want with the character. He's right. like, yes, okay. And, well, and it, wor- it. it worked out for him. Because oh, in, the next, yeah, well, in the next piece of trivia, it said Rickman's famous line of, Loxley, I'm going to cut your heart out with a spoon, was an improvisation. He had found his character's dialogue to be bland and one-dimensional. So was always looking for ways to make it more interesting and amusing. Interestingly... Costner does not 
break character during the scene, despite the improvisation and the inclusion of it resulted in another scene providing explanation. So that was, uh, I don't know why I wrote that. <laughs> that, that, that last bit doesn't make any sense, but <laughs> it happens. It happens. <laughs> but yeah, it was, it, it was a cool line is what I'm, is what I meant to write. But it, at any rate, um, as as we go on in the trivia, we'll see how much uh, Rickman added to this character of the Sheriff of Nottingham. Uh, this was definitely one of my favorite parts of the film, this next bit of trivia. And it is something that I have said to my children multiple times. I have quoted it. Um, <clears throat> he ad-libs a line about calling off Christmas some of the sheriff's witty lines, such as telling a couple of wenches, you, my room, 10th edge tonight, you, my room, 1045, and bring a friend, were devised by Rickman's friend, comedian Ruby Wax, and playwright Peter Barnes. Director Kevin Reynolds enabled these script alterations by not informing the producers or screenwriters or anyone in the crew whatsoever. Rickman said in an interview years later that he knew these new lines were having the desired effect when during takes he noticed crew members covering their mouths trying not to laugh. Right. But the Christmas line, he he finds out that you know his scribe is telling him it he's like, Well, fine. He tells the scribe, raise the bounty to twenty-five thousand crowns. And he's like, Don't do any good, sire. And he's like, why not? And he's like, well, he, the people you see, they he gives them what he takes, so they love him for it. And he's like, so let me get this straight, okay? He steals from my pocket, forcing me to hurt the people, and they love him for it? He's like, that's it. No more merciful beheadings. No more uh, alms for the poor. And he starts to walk out of the room, turn around, he goes, and cancel Christmas walks <laughs> right, right back right. out. I'm like, it doesn't really make sense because at the time they didn't really celebrate Christmas like you would think. It wasn't a big deal. It wasn't Easter was the big holiday, right, right, right. not Christmas. That That's relatively new thing in terms of history, but it's still hilarious. Yeah, it is definitely hilarious. <laughs> and and uh, coincidentally, I remember, remember I said I didn't know, know why I wrote that last bit. And, and I remember why I included it. Uh, so, <laughs> right, so it's cool. So what happened was like, because Rickman had added that line, uh, carve your heart out with a spoon, they had to make an explanation for it later. And so, and later when the dude asked why, why a spoon cousin, because I think they knew that the audience would ask that question. So the, the cousin is being the proxy for the audience of why use a spoon to cover a heart out. And that's what and I love that then Rickman gets to be himself and call us a bunch of twits right. for not knowing. <laughs> right. Because yeah, it'll hurt more. Right. So, I mean, I got it immediately. It, did, it didn't have to be explained. I, I knew that's what it would do. I knew that having your heart carved out with a spoon would hurt tremendously. So <laughs> you have to work harder and it's going to take longer. Right, right, right. <laughs> Uh, so, so moving right along, um, Tristan Slater ad-libbed Will Scarlet's line, fuck me, he cleared it, after Robin and Nazim are catapulted over the castle wall. Kevin Reynolds kept in, or kept it in, the movie because it was, it was funny, yeah. despite the historical inaccuracies, but was it 
inaccurate. So the term fuck as is akin to the Dutch folken that is to breed. And they're talking about breeding cattle specifically. Mm-hmm. And it's from the Swedish dialect as folka. Uh, and that actually means to copulate. And it's first known use as fuck was in the 14th century. And um, that's like the uh, 1300s. So uh, the tales of Robin Hood appeared in the 13th and 14th century. So, and that's the, that's like with it written down. So the adventure, so, well, the adventures of Robin Hood, the actual adventures occurred in the 12th century. So it's conceivable that they may have started actually saying that word in the 12th century. And then when they got to writing it down, you know, they discovered the earliest writings in the next century, the 13th century. So it's possible it, it yeah, could have been saying it. could have totally said, fuck me, please. <laughs> it could have did it. Oh, that's so good. I did not know that. That's wonderful. God love you, Christian Slater. Right. <laughs> Carrie Elways was actually the first one offered the role of Robin Hood. What a different movie that would have been. Right, right. And he turned it down, though, because he thought the plot was too contrived. He did, however, portray the character in the spoof Robin Hood Men of Tights, which I, I brought up earlier. And I think it's funny that he did that. And, you know, there was so much there was stuff like really cut out that I really feel like they should have left in. It would have made a lot more sense, but I I can't see the movie without Kevin Costner, even though he's not exactly a world-class classical actor, like Alan Rickman, you know, put those two up against one another. That was right, right. kind of funny, but I, I, at this point, can you really see Carrie Elways as Robin? You just, I mean, we sort of do because he, he did play Robin Hood in, in a in a spoof movie. So it, it's really doable. Um, I can imagine him as a as a more serious Robin Hood, but I've only seen him mm-hmm. as kind of a, a playful character. So like he's been in um like most people know him from The Prince's Bride. Mm-hmm. So and, and he's kind of like well, a, a playful he was in character. Saw. Oh well I don't, Saw movie. I don't watch Saw. <laughs> I don't either. You want to know why? I am missing my right foot. And of course, at the end of Saw, Carrie Elways has to saw off his right foot. I'm oh. like, nope. Not right, not right, right, right. Too close to home. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, here's the thing that um I, I did see Saw 2. And Saw 2 is the reason that it's like after watching Saw 2, I was like, well, I don't have to watch any more Saw movies. (laughs) I I get it. I get it. Absolutely. No, thanks. Right. No, thanks. Um, So (laughs) moving uh, to the next one, as Robin, Azim and Duncan flee from Marion's, they pull up their horses before entering Sherwood Forest. Kevin Costner's horse half reared as he halted and the horse's neck came up so fast, it smacked into and broke Kevin Costner's nose. According to DVD commentary, he did not miss a beat and continued with the scene. So dang Kevin Costner. Yeah. Dang. Tough dude. He's a tough dude. Well, could Elway do that? Could, could he... <laughs> Can you do that, Wesley? Right, right, right. Could he get smacked in the face? Well, knowing him, he he probably handles a ho- handles a horse better, so he probably would. 
<laughs> wouldn't have had the difficulty with that horse that Kevin did. Uh, we, Kevin Costner to we me never know. just feels like a normal dude that somehow got into acting. One yeah. Day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you're going you're gonna to love the next bit of trivia. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to love this bit. <clears throat> Rumor has it that Kevin Costner actually wanted to use an English accent, but Kevin Reynolds didn't want him to. Supposedly, Costner would affect the accent when he was arguing with Reynolds, but not when they were in agreement. Uh, Costner claims that he was initially asked to use an accent and hired a dialect coach, but this was stopped and the coach was fired when he did it poorly. And that's what I heard, <laughs> that he was just really bad at it. Right, right, right. Like, even though he had a, a dialect coach and everything... And he just, he really sucked at it. And he did like, um, he wasn't, I think what it was, he wasn't doing the proper BBC English accent that they wanted. They wanted this, you know, proper BBC is what they what they call that. Right, right. He was doing more of a Cockney, I've... South London, <laughs> Chav <laughs> like when he's playing the beggar he's like oh pardon me sir i'm always following yeah that's like, right he did do the accent like one time in his mouth. that's that cockney south london chav accent. right 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 and that's not what they wanted he just couldn't do the the proper bbc english and they were like okay you know what <laughs> and I think mm -hmm. the reason is because he's supposed to be an upper classman he's supposed yes, to be a nobleman he's a nobleman so you they can't have to... a low class right. accent and play a nobleman because right. we're all looking at you like. Right, 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 right. You're going to pick my pockets. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a good one. Yeah, that was the one time he used the accent when he, when he was in disguise. I forgot about that. So um, up next, no mention is made of John the Younger, brother of Richard the Lionheart. John was the de facto ruler of England. From 19, I'm sorry, 1190 to 1194, not 1900s, <laughs> 1190 to 1194, while Richard was away fighting in the Third Crusade. However, John did not become the de jure king of England until Richard was killed in a battle in 1199. In many of the Robin Hood legends, the sheriff of Nottingham was a loyal follower of John. And that's interesting because yeah. in this movie, it gives you an impression that the sheriff was actually after the throne himself. Like he wanted to be yes. the king yes. of England, they, England. They took the two characters of the evil sheriff of Nottingham and the Weasley Prince John and mashed them together. Right, 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 right. That, that would have been, I don't know. I think I would have liked to see that movie, but I think at that time it was like too many characters. So they decided yeah. not to. They were like, look, <laughs> we've already had Carrie always tell us no. Right, right, Alvin right. Alvin told us no twice. We really cannot risk it. Right. <laughs> um, on an episode of the Arsidio Hall show, Christian Slater mentioned that he learned and mastered archery after Morgan Freeman taught him on set. Man. So we have multi-talented Morgan Freeman. <laughs> I, that's like, like most kids our age at that time, I watch Robin Hood. I'm like, well, I think I want to learn how to do archery. And in, you know, middle school gym, they actually used to do 
archery. Right. And I was dang good at it too, man. Yeah. I was good. But imagine if I had Morgan Freeman teach me <laughs> on right. set. That would be amazing. That's so cool. Yeah, that that would be cool. And and that's that's pretty awesome. I'm I'm glad to see like people like working together so to make the best story possible. So that's that's pretty cool as all also. So um and the last bit of trivia, trivia number 10. This movie was one of the few Hollywood productions of recent years to receive praise from Jack Sheehan, a longtime Arab American activist whose book Real Bad Arabs lashed out at all of the perceived examples of motion pictures that contain insulting and inaccurate views of Arabs and Muslims. Shaheen wrote that Morgan Freeman's portrayal of Azim was very positive and that Azim was portrayed as a devout Muslim and an intelligent, decent man who fights against the vile sheriff of Nottingham. Sheehan also liked the way Robin Hood indirectly praised Muslim natives during the Crusades by saying, one man defending his home is worth more than 10 hired soldiers. And so, yeah. Yes. Yeah, I noticed that. Uh, And I I appreciated that. And I think they were sensitive to that because as you alluded to earlier, that there was uh, a Middle Eastern war going on. There was, this was... Mm -hmm. uh, there's actually this was before 9-11 but there's always stuff that's going on in the middle east oh my gosh yeah we've been look vanilla ice received an mtv award and said peace in the middle east right 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 that was the thing everyone was saying peace right 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 you kids today (laughs) <laughs> Do not hold the authority on that. We've been doing it for years. Our parents were doing it. Right. Okay. It's been going on for centuries. And uh, we did have the Desert Storm, Operation Desert Storm going on with, you know, we were looking for Saddam Hussein and he was a dictator at the time. Right. Kids these days, Google it. Um, so I think they were a little, they were very concerned about making a general blanket statement about the entire area because it, there are multiple countries, principalities and cultures and religions in that area. It, it, you, (laughs) that's, you can't do that. It's just not right. I mean, that's like, lumping the irish the scottish and the english together and calling them all british like right yeah that's not and at the time yeah and and at the time like uh we were like as far as the 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 first gulf war it was the u.s that was trying to liberate kuwait from the advances of uh iraq so iraq was trying to invade kuwait and the the u.s sent troops there to prevent that from happening and that was uh and that was the, the the first war and then i think Saddam Hussein was kept in power, but they put uh, no-fly zones in certain areas of Kuwait to kind of prevent Saddam Hussein from, like... Well, then eventually he just went into hiding. Right. But to prevent him from killing the, uh, what do you call it, some of the Kurds in in Iraq and and that sort of thing. So, yeah, there's there's always different kinds of conflict going on over there. So, Mm. yeah, peace in the Middle East was a, a big thing that they were saying back in the 90s. 
and uh, yeah. filmmakers were really sensitive with how they wanted to portray. Well, at least some filmmakers were sensitive about how they wanted to portray uh, Muslims and Arabs. And uh, Jack Sheehan, he was like, Shahan, I'm saying it wrong. I keep Shaheen. saying it wrong. I think it's Shaheen, right? And so Jack Shaheen was like, you know, he he rightly praised this film for, you know, try, trying to portray Muslims in a positive light. Well, showing that both sides have their good points, you know, as people. Right, right, you know, right. Both what, sides have good points and not so great points. I mean, right. that's just people in general. <laughs> well, that, that, you know, they're human beings. They're not cardboard bad guys. I, right. I think that's what it is. And and there's they, a, they made them multi-dimensional. Right, they made, right, right. They made them multi-dimensional characters instead of just one-dimensional bad guys. Right, right. Because the th- the thing is, is that like there are certain movies where you would have an undefined bad guy, and they would be an undefined Middle Eastern bad guy. So like I think Top Gun was one of those movies. But the movie I tend to think about yeah, is big is, bad guy is um what's it called. Iron Eagle, which actually came out before yes. Top Gun. And in Iron Eagle, you have the undefined Middle Eastern bad guy. And mm-hmm. and they're all basically cardboard villains. And mm-hmm. uh, and Robin Hood wanted to do more than have cardboard villains. So yeah, that's that's when worthy to educate and entertain. Right, Edu- right, right. <laughs> so that's it for the trivia. And now we're going to take a look at what the critics thought. All right, so the critics gave it a 51%, audience gave it a 72% on Rotten Tomatoes, big disparity, and and IMDb reviews, it's 6.9 out of 10, so that's closer to what the Rotten Tomatoes audience says. Yeah, don't listen to the trades, especially Rotten Tomatoes. They pay people. They've been busted for it. Well, it's I like- Talk for yourself. It's Well, the thing about it is that it was like one specific incident over one specific like company and what they did was they, 15. what happened was they paid uh like certain reviewers either to not review a movie if they didn't like it or if they did like it then they review it and put it on rotten tomatoes so they were trying to manipulate it and it worked yeah. in like one specific instance so there was like one movie that daisy ridley was in that nobody knows about and it was like a, a 59 percent, which would give it a rotten and so this company using its techniques, they were able to raise it to a 60%. But it's like, it, it was, the effect was not, you know, uh, was not great, right? It did. It's not like the movie started making money or anything. Uh, I think the only thing that raising it to 60% did was it, it got studios to like buy and distribute the film. That's all it really did because the, the, the movie didn't have a, a distributor. So they point to that incident, and there may have been a couple of others, but I don't think like it's a huge problem. And um, and I'll say what like most people like to say is like go to a reviewer that you trust and know, and yeah, and read their reviews or kind of read their blogs. Yeah, and what I always say on on my program when I talk about this stuff is, you know what, go see it for yourself. Right, right, and the you other know, th- I'm not you, right, <laughs> and the other for yourself. And the other thing is, like, I always pay more attention to the audience scores anyway. That, like, the IMDb scores, the audience scores, uh, they and I and they agree. they tend to agree with each other, and so because they tend to. And the other thing is that, as far as like, when there is a a huge disparity like between the audience and critics, that basically mm-hmm. tells you that the the critics are 
watching it on a different level than what the audience is. The audience is entertained. And that's all. Like the critics are going, they don't like the accent. They don't like the story. They don't like the special effects or whatever. And the audience are just entertained and they're fully enjoy mm-hmm. it. And that's what causes this disparity. But um, I'm using that word a lot. I'm not even sure if I'm pronouncing it right. But we're going to go ahead and talk about the first reviewer talking about looking at reviewers that that you know. I don't know any of these reviewers. I know one of them, but um, I, I I pick some out to give you give our audience a sense of what people are thinking about this movie. So, Marjorie Baumgarten from Austin Chronicle wrote, "The only redistribution of wealth engaged in by this Robin Hood occurs at the box office when you hand over your money for admission. What a large scale mess this is." She, she didn't like it. I don't think she like. I don't think she liked Someone it. Someone <laughs> needs to go back to bed and start over. Um, Desan Thompson from the Washington Post wrote, "Fair damsels and noble sirs, you must free yourselves of these worrisome observations. This is a state of the art retelling of a classic." Nice. So he kind of enjoyed it. What, what about the um, next two? <clears throat> Roger Ebert, the Chicago Sun-Times, said, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves is a murky, unfocused, violent, and depressing version of the classic story with little of the lightheartedness and romance we expect from Robin Hood. I disagree. Not only do I disagree, but I don't. It's like he watched a completely different movie. It's like, it's not even depressing. What are you talking about? Depressing. <laughs> well, yeah, his dad got slaughtered and hung up and smeared as a Satan worshiper. And, but then he fixes it and it's a happy ending and they get married and Sean Connery shows up. Like, yeah. how are you depressed by the end of this movie? Bud? Right. I don't. I mean, there. in order for a hero to rise, something bad has to happen. You're not just robbing from the rich and giving to the poor because everything is hunky dory. It, it's mm-hmm. like, I guess he expected that Robin Hood would go robbing from the rich because it's a hobby like, or just for lulls. <laughs> have you read the actual classic tales of Robin Hood? There's some pretty freaking depressing times they're living in but they right. needed robin hood to do those things right. okay jeez yeah i don't know uh alex sandal juicy cerebellum said it wasn't exactly an epic but it was entertaining and that's good enough absolutely <laughs> i i think that hits that that hits the spot that review that <laughs> <laughs> that it's not Lord of the Rings, but you'll be no, fine. <laughs> I, no, and and again, I really feel like you guys have got to watch the extended cut, the director's cut, whatever it's called. I don't even know how. Like, I just typed in Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, and clicked on the first one. And I'm like, wait a minute, I don't remember this scene. Like, there's a scene where he's with all the nobles, and they're all wearing robes, white robes around a a pentagram or a pentacle and they're all devil worshipers and then it shows him actually paying them and they're like this bag of gold is light he's like this robin hood dude i'm uh, sorry stuff that would have made a lot of things more cohesive i think for critics and reviewers so i'm stunned they i think they took it out because they thought it was going to be too long it was like 
two hours. It was almost a three hour movie right, with the extra right, scenes, right. but it, it was really good. And it made sense to me. I think they should have left him in. Yeah. One of the things about having long movies is that theaters don't necessarily like long movies. So they're no. trying to get audiences in and out as quickly as possible. Right. And especially <laughs> back then, especially so, back then right, people went right. to the movies a lot. Right. Right. In the nineties, like there wasn't a whole lot for us to do. Right. So going to the theater was an event. It was a big, big deal. Not so much anymore. So they, they really did want you in and out more because they had a much higher turnover. Right, right, right. So that's it for what the critics thought. Finally, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, is, as of this recording, available on streaming. That's it for today. In a fortnight, we'll be back with another exciting movie from yesteryear. It will be yet another beloved action-adventure flick, but older and far darker. So I hope you join me for my special guest, Wes King from Film Somniacs podcast and Wes Talks Movies on TikTok for, well, I wrote Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, but that's not what we're watching. We're, wa- <laughs> we're watching Mad Max 2, The Road Warrior. That's what we're watching. Oh, yes. So yeah, action, adventure, and darker, just like I promised. So you can follow us on Twitter, TikTok, Blue Sky, Facebook, Instagram, or Threads at Backlick Cinema. If you post on any of those platforms, I will do my best to respond. But at least you know that you can find me anywhere just by looking for at Backlick Cinema. And then if you want to email us for, with any questions, comments, or suggestions, you can do so at fanmail at backlickcinema.com. So my special guest, Danny. Do you have any additional plugs? Uh, Well, yes, actually. Um, Like I said, you can find me on YouTube and social media at Comics and Cosmetics. I also have a website, comicsandcosmetics.squarespace.com. And on that website, you can find all of my reviews and a passion project that I have been working on for the last almost two years with Academy award-winning special effects artist and designer, Brian Sype. Uh, it's called the Belgian project. We are trying our hardest to improve the lives, to save the lives of amputees all over this planet. Did you know that prosthetics is considered medical equipment? That's it. Durable medical equipment no different than a pair of crutches. It's insane. Insurance sees it as a luxury, not a necessity. And the suicide rate for amputees because of their prosthetics is four times higher than the average American. And four times higher than that are women amputees. So we are trying to change this perception in the medical world. We are trying to prove that we can make realistic, custom-made prosthetics that are also comfortable, but we need help. You can help by going to comicsandcosmetics.squarespace.com. Click on the Belgium Project. You will see a quick little documentary on how it got started, some information for you, and you can even donate to the project. So find me on all social media as Comics and Cosmetics. Please subscribe to the channel. It helps out so much. And check out comicsandcosmetics.squarespace.com to find the Belgium Project. Right. I was just talking to an associate about how 
messed up, really, the the medical establishment is in this country, right? How <laughs> would be so much better if it were uh, a different way, like closer to what they have in Canada or in Europe or, you, you know, have to be like careful that. with that. Because right. a lot of the problem we have right now is that the government is so involved with the medical industry. So it creates a problem where there is no competition. So physicians, prosthetists, who have who, whatever, people in the medical industry can charge whatever they want. They can charge as much as they want, whatever they want. They can deny insurance because they can. There's no competition. And it's the government, it is the actual government that has established that prosthetics are no different than a pair of crutches. Right, right, right. It's the United States government. So what would really need to happen to rectify a lot of this is the government stay out of it so that doctors and prosthetists can create competition between each other and it would lower prices like, oh, well, I'll charge you less than this doctor or what have you. And it would give them freedom to treat people who need treated. Right now, I've needed a knee replacement for about five years and I can't get it because I have government medical insurance and they say I have to do all this other stuff first. It's been going on for five years. Right, right, right. Five years. And it's a secondary condition from my prosthetic, from from the fact that I'm I'm an amputee. Right. And there's there's a lot of stuff that goes into it. I that's a whole other podcast, so I won't take up all <laughs> the time about it. But um there's a lot of work that needs to be done and amputees are dying over it, and nobody has paid any attention to it whatsoever. So that is a big part of my life, a huge passion project for me, a personal project. And if anyone would share share that information, hashtag the Belgium Project, just check it out. There's the documentaries on my YouTube as well. The more eyeballs we can reach with this, the better. Right. Absolutely. So uh, I definitely encourage everyone everyone to check it out. I shall check it out <laughs> and see what little I can do. Uh, write my congressman. <laughs> you know, I, I've been itching, itching to write one of those letters. <laughs> so um, one last time, um, Danny, tell the audience your name and um, where they can find you again. I'm Danny Sansasi, licensed cosmetologist and registered super nerd. And once a week, you can find me on YouTube at Comics and Cosmetics, telling you all the hot goss, juicy deets, deleted tweets you missed in the nerdy world that week. And once a month, you will find me breaking down whatever nerdy topic I've been obsessing about that week, either a character, a storyline, a comic book, a movie, what have you. I've even broken down some Game of Thrones stuff, but I'm doing my makeup or a cosplay at the same time. So find me on YouTube at Comics and Cosmetics. You can find me on Twitter, Blue Sky Threads, Instagram, Facebook, Twitch. I don't know. Pick a social media. I'm probably there. My merch store is at tpublic.com. And for all of that information, for examples of my work, for my videos, for reviews, for the Belgian project, please check out comicsandcosmetics.squarespace.com. That is awesome. And 
I have no, I know that you've enjoyed Danny, so please go check all that out. Believe me, it matters. I've been Zoe Richardson. Be safe, share a movie with your loved ones, enjoy a movie from yesteryear with your family, give everybody a hug, and if you're going to be anything, be outstanding.